2: This episode is brought to you by our Patreon members. Thank you so much. You're the reason this podcast is still going.
0: If everyone who listened to this podcast gave just $1 a month, we could both turn this podcast into a full-time job and be certain that we could keep it going throughout the pandemic and keep bringing you more episodes. It would be a win for everyone. As it is, we're not sure month to month if this is going to keep going.
2: If you're not a member and you're able to donate, go to patreon.com slash ancienthistoryfangirl. Members get ad-free episodes, extra episodes about fascinating topics we don't have time to cover in our longer episodes, and hilarious, mostly drunken conversations we've had with other podcasters and guests.
0: As a member, you could get a new episode from us as often as once a week. Go to patreon.com ancienthistoryfangirl and sign up today to join the fun.
2: We know times are tough for everyone, and we appreciate your support.
3: Women are hot. They make me wet. Like, let's talk about it.
0: I'm Jenny Williamson. And I'm Jen McMenemy. And this is Ancient History Fangirl. So we are so excited to welcome Lisa from Sweet Bitter Podcast onto the show today. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So um, tell us a little bit about you and your team and your podcast.
3: Um, so we are a team of three: um, Elise, Ellie and Lisa. You know, we had this like conversation where like we could only have people on the name on the show who have like the L names like Ellie, Elise, and Lisa. They all kinda of go together, you know? I feel like <laughs> we've seen that somewhere before. Gosh, this sounds awfully familiar. <laughs> Surely you can relate. <laughs> and yeah, we just uh, you know, we realized there was no show about Sappho. I was sort of trying to Find one. Um, I heard about Sappho on a on Buffering the Vampire Slayer. If you know that podcast, and um, yeah, and I heard Elise actually talking about Sappho, and I was like, man, how have I not heard about this woman from history that seems really quite important? And so I stalked that, and I was like, hey, do you want to do a podcast about this? I can't find anything, and she agreed, and that's like the start of the story. <laughs>
0: So, your podcast episodes often start off with a reading of a Sappho poem. Uh, What's your favorite piece of hers, and would you be willing to share it with us?
3: Yeah, so I have a few favorites. Um, It's really hard to choose. I mean, a lot of Sappho's poetry is really fragmented, so a lot of them are really short. Um, So, I mean, I have my handy Bible here. I have Anne Carson's translations. I... I mean, there are some that are really cheeky that I like. The one that I like to tell people is my favorite is Fragment 69, which is literally just sinful. (laughs) And I love it because I think that whoever did that knew what they were doing when they made it number 69 of Sappho's poems, Um, and that's from Anne Carson's translation, I should, should say. And then another one, which I love, is a Diane Rea translation, which again is like not beautiful. It's just like (laughs) cheeky, which is, I have never met anyone more irritating, Erina, than you. And that's the whole fragment. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I feel like I should find a prettier one for y'all rather than me just throwing out my favorite cheeky ones. Uh, let me see. I mean, I think I have a Rayo translation here, um, which is one hundred and sixty eight b The moon and Pleiades have set half the night is gone. time passes. I sleep alone. I think that's very pretty as well. So her work is very beautiful. I just like to choose a cheeky shit because it's my jam.
0: I like the one that's just sinful. <laughs>
3: Sinful Addis Fragment 69, come on. So tell us a little bit about
0: who Sappho was. What do we know about her life?
3: So, I mean, Sappho existed like 2,500 years ago, and a lot of her work and a lot of things about her has been kind of straight-washed, and I what I was just about to say patriot, patriarchatized, which isn't a word, but that's what came into my head right then of like, it feels like it should be. <laughs> it should be a word. Patriarchal.
0: patriarchalized. Patriarch. Patriar- <laughs> patriarch, patriarch. I'm really struggling here you guys. <laughs> Basically
3: a bunch of men came in and they're like, "A woman? What? A woman loving women? What? What is that? That's there's no dicks in that. Let's 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 mess with it. Like, if there's no penis in the room, like... (laughs) How does that work? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so she lived 2,500 years ago. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of contestation about her sexuality. Uh, I love that every day on the internet, there's an argument about Sappho being bisexual or Sappho being lesbian. She is neither of those things. Those terms literally did not exist. When she was uh, around the word lesbian is for Sappho who was from the Nile of Lesbos. So it's a nod to her. And yeah, she wrote amazing poetry. She was very uh, well regarded as a lyric poet. Uh, she's the first lyric poet that we know of from history. Um, so basically by lyric poet, I mean, she wrote first person poetry about her feelings. So before that it was very like Epic, you know, like everybody's writing about the gods and she was like, Hey, Women are hot. They make me wet. Like, let's talk about it.
0: I mean, I think that's so fascinating. I did not know that Sappho was the very first lyric poet in, I guess, Western literature. I don't know, all literature. I'm not sure. How do you define that?
3: I'm going to say Western just because I'm too scared to say not Western literature. I I, I tend to think that, like, my, my knowledge, I'm not a historian by any way, shape, or means. I made this podcast simply because, like, I wanted to learn it so ellie and i ellie who co-hosts the podcast we both are like just on a journey with the listener basically and we've had the privilege of speaking to some incredible historians who know way more about it than us um but definitely in the western so i'd say like the european literary tradition sappho is the first woman we hear and the first lyric poet
0: you're in good company because we're also not at all historians
2: and it's one of those things where every single time um we talk to people or as we go on in the podcast i'm like oh we kind of know some stuff about this now but it's taken us years and I do feel like we're on the same journey as the listener and it's one of those things that I I really enjoy because I love being able to come to the stuff like to come to whatever we're approaching not knowing something and ask the questions I assume other people will have and not feel silly for asking the questions and as you go like deeper into it you're like oh no now I have fully drunk the nerd kool-aid and uh, I'm here forever.
0: Now I understand why my previous questions were a little ridiculous, but I'm really glad I asked them anyway. (laughs) No, it's good.
3: And I think it's coming from a good vantage point. And definitely like whilst doing this season of the podcast, I was at a lot of events, like Sappho events, and I would hear questions being asked. Like I was at an event with a bunch of um, translators of Sappho's work and someone asked the question, like, when was Sappho's most recent poem discovered and tell me more about that process. And they couldn't answer because they was so deep in like their specific part of knowledge about Sappho. So like questions other people had, they didn't have that. I'm sitting there in the audience, like online, like screaming at the computer, like, I know, like I know about it. And, you know, we ended up taking like a four episode deep dive into papyrology and this massive papyrology scandal that I just think that like, If we'd been Sappho scholars, we might not have gone down that path. But similarly to you, we just had so many questions we wanted answered and we just went on that journey. What did you say, a papyrology? What is that? Okay, so papyrology is basically like how we find like ancient texts. Um, So it's like papyrus. The study of papyrus, actually, we're very big in the papyrology world. (laughs)
0: Like literally, (laughs) you're celebrities, basically, amongst the papyrologists.
3: Basically, we sort of had like an initial conversation and we were like, wow, we just need to know so much about this. And it just, as it turned out, there'd been a big scandal around Hobby Lobby and the Museum of the Bible and this Oxford University professor with a castle in Waco and like all of this stuff as we were doing the podcast. What? I know. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay can we stop for a second because this is actually one of the questions that we had on here was how i've always been curious about this because sappho's whole extant work that we have is just little bits and scraps like there is a there's the greek word sinful on a on a scrap of something somewhere how do we know that that is sappho's uh
3: yeah and it's it's interesting because apparently it's really easy to tell well according to papyrologists that we spoke to um so she speaks um lesbian greek i think and so I don't think there are that many.
0: I love that there's lesbian Greek.
3: Fun fact, uh, the Isle of Lesbos tried to sue I don't know who for the use of the word lesbian.
0: Who would they sue? I
3: don't know, lesbians? Like, we are suing all of the women who love women who use the term lesbian for the use of the word lesbian. Like, they lost the case. Like, there's nothing to be done for colloquial language. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Come on now. But um, it was written in lesbian Greek, which there weren't that many poets who wrote in that uh, kind of language. So apparently there's like, I think there's also the way her stanzas are um, are put together as well. Like there's a sapphic stanza, so you can sort of tell when it's her work. Um, but yeah, apparently it's pretty straightforward when you find a Sappho to know it's Sappho.
0: You guys did a four episode series on this, so I'm, I'm not necessarily gonna ask you to go into like all of that right now but could you give us the thumbnail version of this sappho scandal
3: yeah basically there were a lot of really bored papyrologists in lockdown and they uncovered this massive scandal it's it's not just involving sappho it's also involving a lot of bible fragments um so basically hobby lobby was trying to find like the oldest biblical fragments to like prove their religion blah 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 and uh allegedly and i have to say this like a million times an oxford university professor was stealing from the oxyrhynchus collection so he was running like the biggest collection of papyrus in the world which is in oxford university and pieces were like missing and then like turning up in places but they couldn't prove the provenance which is like where they're from so basically like obviously with history of colonial sort of like stealing of artifacts from different countries, there are now a lot of things in place to make sure that people aren't like stealing artifacts from different countries. So you need to prove the provenance before you can sort of sell anything. So they found this like complete poem of Sappho's called the brother's poem, which now nobody knows where it is. Uh, and it was like given a fake provenance story where like somebody pretended to uncover it in a university. It's like, it's wild. So it hasn't resolved yet, but um It was really interesting because we took a a really long journey through, I guess, like Eurocentrism and papyrus and like what's deemed important, like mummy cartonnage, which is very important to Egyptian people. It's like the paper mache that makes a mummy, you know, but it's made with a bunch of old papyrus. And so what a lot of people have done in the past is they've pulled it apart to see if they can find anything that they think is valuable, but mummies themselves are valuable
0: The only known example of Cleopatra's actual handwriting comes from a mummy wrapping where she wrote, make it so. And I think that it was really fascinating, too, because it was signed that on a document where she was talking about, I don't know if you remember this, Jen, but like it was about reducing the taxes on a friend of hers's estate or something like something about reducing one of her buddy's tax burden like nepotism yeah in exchange for i think it was something about we found out like who it was and it was about this like tax burden reducing nepotism thing and in the history we were studying we had found that person and there was a story in like the ancient sources somewhere about her basically giving him all these benefits so that he would stand up for her in the tent with mark antony and all their generals when they were fighting off augustus and making sure that her views were represented because mark antony was just like a pancake anyone could flip him to their side we're just like oh my god was this it yeah i mean I don't think there's
3: any actual, in the same way that like we don't actually have any fragments from the people who wrote the Bible, I don't think there are any actual fragments of Sappho writing. I, it was a more of an oral culture. The work of hers that has been passed down through song, her poems were sung to music and um, people just remembered them over time and repeated them. Like The one poem that we have of hers, uh, Ode to Aphrodite, which is number one, fragment one, the only full poem we have of Sappho's, that was in a textbook. And it was like an example of like good poetry form and a sapphic stanza. And then there were volumes of her work, but they were in the Library of Alexandria. So I think they got destroyed.
0: Yeah, that burned down several times.
3: And, and people like going on their crusades against Sappho as a woman, Sappho as a woman who loved women. Her work just didn't necessarily survive. So a lot of the stuff is like, the way Elise puts it, which I think is really correct is like, She wanted to go out in the park and sing like a Taylor Swift song. So she like wrote, wrote down the Taylor Swift lyrics on a piece of paper on the back of like a grocery list and then like went to the park and then like threw it away. Someone could find that in like 2,500 years and they're like, whoa, like who is this Taylor Swift? Like, you know, but it's just Elise writing it down on a piece of paper. And so that's how a lot of Sappho's work has been found.
0: You know, and it feels so ephemeral and tenuous and fragile, you know, it just shocks me that any of it's come down to us. It's
3: wild. Right. And it's all found like pretty much like in Egypt, uh, because that's like the perfect conditions. It's like low humidity. So it it kind of remains in the, in the sand. So I don't know if you guys want to be a part of this, but like my plan is like to take the transcripts of sweet bitter and like write them on like papyrus and like bury them in the sand somewhere. Um, I don't know we find like a climate scientist to work out like I want to game the future into thinking that I was important
0: that's amazing and yes I want to do this it's sort of like geocaching I feel like everywhere I live is is like very humid and not ideal conditions oh I don't know I live in the UK we've got some good mud up by Hadrian's wall (laughs) oh that's right the anaerobic (laughs) soil that's a great idea (laughs) yes
3: I mean, the issue is climate change making things happen real fast. So, like, we've got to, like, really, like, work out where is going to be dry. But I think that we should all just, like, start a collective, buy some papyrus, and, like, get this shit going. Like, let's do it.
0: I'm so down.
2: Or
3: make our own papyrus. Look, we have friends in papyrology, so I'm
0: just saying. Ooh, can you make your own? I wonder what the process is. Oh, I'm
2: sure you... You can. Whether I'm going to do that or not is a big no, but (laughs) (laughs) we could pay them then for their labor to have a bit of papyrus. (laughs) Probably only a small scrap because I imagine it's labor intensive and quite expensive. But that's all I need. (laughs) As I know from poem number
0: 69. (laughs) So what can we tell about Sappho's life from her poetry?
3: So we don't really know much about Sappho's life. Um, What we sort of can say is we think she had a daughter named Cleus, but it could also have been her lover, which is weird. She has three brothers. One fun fact, which is not from her poetry, but it's from recounts of her life after she passed, is she has a husband called Kerkulos of Andros, which translates to dick from man island (laughs) so we're not entirely sure he existed (laughs) or if that's just a joke to her known love of
0: women or if he was just a giant dick as queen's podcast would say the duke of dickenshire
3: (laughs) exactly so like did she have a husband was that a nod to her love of women i mean obviously they conceived of love very differently in ancient greece um eros kind of struck you it wasn't really about like who you were attracted to, but like you were struck with passion, which like for me as a bisexual is perfect because I'm just like, yes, exactly, exactly, Eros. Back to olden times, let's go. We know she lived on Lesbos and that she was politically exiled for a while. She was probably a woman of, or she definitely was a woman of means and probably I think one of our Australian, um, so Marguerite Johnson, who's an academic about Sappho, said she's probably a bit of a snob, <laughs> which I really appreciate why does she say that? Um, just because she was like a high society, you know, person. A lot of it is speculative. Uh, what we can say for sure is she lived like, she was born in like six, I think six or 700 BC. Primarily lived on the Isle of Lesbos, wrote poetry, was very famous. I think they had coins with her on it, etc. And that's all I can remember off the top of my
0: head. She had three brothers. And didn't she, um, Jen, remind me of the guy's name. Is it Was it Charaxos?
2: I think so. This is the one who had a very famous Atira, a courtesan, Radapis who I think I, I can't remember who the writer is.
0: Oh, gosh. Was it Pausanias or? Um... Are you talking about
3: the story about her throwing herself off a cliff for a ferryman?
0: Oh, my God. No. But what is that
3: story? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, as we know, um, Women can't love other women without being straight washed. There are a lot of rumors that went around about Sappho. One was that she loved giving blowjobs and she was really good at it, of course.
0: Is it a transferable skill of some kind?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Because um, that's. Women who love women, famously, are great at blowjobs. But yeah, it's. uh, So apparently, she threw herself off a cliff for love of this ferryman called Phaeon, to which, um, you know, this amazing woman who wrote a play about it was like as if I would as if she would throw herself off the cliff for some (laughs) service worker like it's just so like or transport service worker I should say not service worker but you know what I mean like it's just like it's just ridiculous
2: (laughs) whoa Whoa.
3: that's a bit of
2: rank classism there
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean I think it's like it's just like a funny thought that like they're like, oh my god, no. It's like so much gay panic that they were like, we need to just make her like throw herself off the cliff for this dude. And so there's this like myth that she's done that. There's like the cliff has like a, I think a plaque or something about how this is the cliff that Sappho threw herself off for love of this ferryman, Phaon, And um, I think it's probably bullshit.
0: I think it's reasonable to assume that that is bullshit, yes. <laughs> So what do we know about Lesbos at the time that Sappho was living there?
3: Um I honestly that's really early days episodes I could I couldn't tell you much but I mean what is really interesting about Lesbos is it is like technically Greece but it's very close to Turkey so it's sort of like very influenced by both. And I think they were in a point of a little bit of political upheaval. Um, Which is an interesting kind of context to view Sappho, and obviously we don't think of her as a political poet, but um, she certainly would have been at a time that was very politically fraught, and as someone of the upper class, like as I think I said before, there was definitely a point where she had to flee Lesbos for a period of time.
0: Do we know why? Is there anything about that?
3: Um, I don't know why. Um, Maybe there is, but I don't know if there is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is this is a thing we encounter, too, where I'm just like, I'm pretty sure that this is true. I haven't read all of the historical documentation about this, though, so I could be just making wrong statements. I don't know.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty sure we know like she definitely left. And I think that might be reflected in her poetry um, or stories of her life. It's been like pretty well known, but I'm not sure if we know exactly why. Just that there was like politically, you know, difficult times definitely like, you know, other parts of ancient Greece, it was a society that I guess valued multidisciplinary skills, like everybody sang, everybody wrote, everybody kind of had a myriad of different like philosophies, science, whatever, as opposed to today's society, which is more specialized. I'm waiting for us to come back into that time where we, we value
0: generalization <laughs> more. Over specification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I would I would love that, too. I used to sing and draw and do all kinds of other creative things. And in my adult life, everything has been very narrowed down to the thing I was best at, you know, like, or at least I thought I was best at. So now I feel like I specialize a lot more than I would have liked to in a more well-rounded life, for sure.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have managed to avoid it for the most part. I'm just taking very generalized roles, but it is definitely like something that our society calls for that I kind of hate.
1: I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. Plus, my pal and noted China historian, Rana Mitter, joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II.
2: They had no
1: idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian Mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello everyone, Stakuya here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything.
0: Are other writers in ancient Greece writing about queer women aside from Sappho?
3: I mean, we just don't have that many women's voices at all. I don't think she's the only example of someone writing about it, but she's certainly the most prolific and um it definitely was something that was like unusual still for a woman to be writing and for a woman to be writing about loving women and like despite the fact that like there is obviously a lot written about like pederasty and like relationships between men, I think like relationships between women, it's like the invisible, you know, they've been invisible for a long time. Like, what? There's no penises? Do we care?
0: That's exactly how I feel. Like when I look at the historical record, it's like homoerotic love between men is everywhere. And of course, a lot of the times it's pederasty, which is, I don't even know if you can call it that. You don't see women loving women anywhere. It is kind of erased. And of course, there must have been women having sex with women because that has happened throughout history.
3: They were definitely dildos, so...
2: I just think when you think about the way their society would have worked, I mean, so often, depending on what level of society you were at, the men in your life would be gone for years at a time. Like, imagine if you were married to a soldier. What were you doing all that time? There's no way you were waiting for that dude to come home. Just no fucking way. And you weren't going to get pregnant, so what were you doing? Maybe you were living your best life. Maybe you were forced into an awful marriage, and now you found someone who you really love.
3: I love all this speculation. I have no answers to your questions. Although you did make me think of, is it like Stancy Potenza on like TikTok who does these like skits of like women who've like lost their husbands or who whose husbands are away who are like living together as friends. And like, <laughs> that's all I was thinking is like, you know, finally they get some peace and some orgasms, one hopes. I would say that definitely, like, the way I would describe it from what I have heard and understand is, like, invisible. Like, it's invisible. Like, you don't really hear about it. It's not really spoken about. I don't think men ever thought about it. Um, I, you know, suspect men didn't think that much about women's pleasure at all. So there's this whole, like, Sappho the um, schoolmistress idea that she was, like, a teacher of young women who were getting married. And I'm like, yeah, sure. She was teaching them something, I reckon.
0: You know what, Sappho? Just teach me everything you know. That's all I want in life. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> she was teaching them the most important lesson, how to make yourself happy because ain't no dude going to do that for you. Um, I have a question.
3: The title of your podcast is Sweet Bitter. Where does that come from? Um, So you've heard the, t- the uh, phrase bittersweet. Um, so bittersweet it's been flipped, but Sweet Bitter was first coined by Sappho. And so it's sort of like how we use bittersweet now. But the reason it's flipped is it's supposed to be about a relationship. So it starts off sweet, and it ends bitter. I don't know at what point it got flipped into bittersweet, but um, she coined the phrase. So we'd originally decided between that and, and another, but it just it felt like a nice name.
0: It's very poetic. I mean,
3: I think I can find I can find the poem. It's like, Eros, the Loosener of Limbs.
0: Oh, that's one of her most famous ones. The That's like the line I know about Sappho.
3: Yeah, I think that's the what I'm trying to think. Is it? It's definitely one of our episodes, so I theoretically should know which fragment it is. But it's like, is it 112? It's like a, um, we, it's the one we did our disco track to.
0: I just need to like link to all your music. That's incredible.
3: So it's like Eros, the Melter of Limbs, now again, it stirs me eros sweet bitter unmanageable creature who steals in i think is what it is i'm like singing it in my head and i'm trying not to be like eros and then i also don't know like what we like added (laughs) uh because you know we took some poetic liberty but um i think that's kind of the gist of it i can't hear the word eros now without singing our disco track so (laughs) that's amazing
0: So what else do we know about Sappho's life? Are there any other fun or juicy or interesting bits of gossip that we have about her that have come down even from other people?
3: Just, yeah, a lot of like interpretation of her. I mean, I think some interesting stuff that's like not about Sappho, but kind of about Sappho is like the reason why her name is sort of synonymous with women loving women, why we use the terms lesbian and sapphic is because her poetry was sort of like on like her as a figure was used as a code for women who loved women throughout time so like they would have like sisters of sappho and like she her name was used in a lot of political protests i think like some famous lesbian couple in france had a cat name like it was sort of like a way for women to like nod to other women that like they're queer so that's kind of interesting to me is like how much like even though we never learned about her in school like Even though like Homer was the poet, Sappho was the poetess, yet we don't really learn anything about her in school and we don't know her name, but that women who love women have always used her name to kind of identify each other in a safe way. So I think that's very cool.
0: Being a woman and having sex with other women is is such a transgressive act in ancient Greece because the entire society was just built around women being under the control of men, including reproductive control. So the idea that women... It's a
3: transgressive act now.
0: Yeah, oh, well, of course it is. Of course it is. And, and I think those roots go back.
3: Oh, that's something that's really striking. Like when you look at, I mean, looking at history, I think it's something that can like sometimes be really beautiful. And I think, you know, speaking to this guy about Sappho's music, and I don't know where this poem is, or if it's, um, or if it was someone talking about Sappho, or if it's Sappho saying it herself, but like, more or less, like, what's really cool. And what I think about sometimes I have these really profound moments, like walking down the street, uh, which is like, we're all looking at the same moon which I think Sappho says in one of her poems, and it also reminds me of Five Four Goes West, like we're all looking at the same moon. Um, And it is really beautiful thing if you're like, wow, it's like time kind of feels like this kind of flat thing. But in the same way, like all of the shitty things that like men are doing to women now, they've been going on for so long. It's like very upsetting. Also, you're like, oh, my God, this is so relatable. And it shouldn't be relatable as 2500 years ago.
0: Oh absolutely it's like when we when we do our work here like we don't we are not historians at all but i feel like as time has gone on like it feels like we're just kind of mucking about in the very basement of the patriarchy and All this shit is right outside in the open there. And you're like, oh, my God, this is where this comes from. This is where that comes from. This is where, like, all this shitty stuff that's going on now, this is the attitude that is carried forward 2,000 years and more. And we're still dealing with it today.
2: Yeah, I also think one of the things I find super fascinating, particularly when you look at women like Sappho or we did um, some episodes on sex workers in the ancient world, is the weaponization of women against other women and the way in which within the patriarchal society, they are sort of particularly married women and women who conform to the patriarchy are put into these boxes where anyone outside of it, they very much attack and go against. And we see that happening again and again throughout history. Anyone who doesn't conform to the patriarchy, who is a woman tends to suffer the wrath of other women because that's the way the system works.
3: And it's horrifying and we're still doing it. I'm from the suburbs in a small place. I know what that's like. That was my whole childhood. And I think the reality is that for a
2: long time was the only way that women could have power. And now that we're actually experiencing other power outside of it, it's like, wait, but why are we still doing this? And it's because so many of us are still dealing with the fallout of parents who were raised that way or living in communities that function that way.
3: Absolutely. The way I like to think about it, like, cause I think about this with my parents a lot, is like, they, they saw a society that maybe they didn't like, but like they did everything like right to fit it. So when someone like I completely, I just was like, I don't want to succeed on a society that I disagree with. Like I think society is sick and I think it prioritizes the wrong things. And I have no interest in being successful based on that. And I think that that's like so radical to them. They're like, no, 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 but I spent my whole life being successful based on this. And you're now saying that I could have gone like this, but like you're saying I could have gone a different direction, but now I'm like, you know, in my fifties and I'm, you know, I've already succeeded based on like this society that I bought into, even if I'm unhappy. And so it's just, like, hard for people to accept and, like, let the next group kind of do their own thing. But I'm, I'm hoping this pandemic has made a lot of people kind of reflect a bit more, I guess. Like, the cynic in me who has conservative parents who've been mostly una- unaffected thinks that, no, they won't. But I think that probably it's brought people on a journey a bit faster than they would have got there, those who will. <laughs>
0: writes about women that um were possibly her lovers maybe some of them were her daughters I that's a little iffy there um how many women did she write about and do we know anything about about those relationships that we can glean from the poetry
3: um I think there's okay so we said three I think but I think there's more we actually did if you go to our twitter page which is at sweetbitterpod we actually did At the beginning, when we had a little more time and energy, we did a bunch of videos for our songs. And one of them was, um, we did her Fragment 94, I think it is, as Sappho's girlfriends, Anaktoria, Attis, and Gongola, which is definitely three that we know of. And um, we did this like sexy, like, Gansborg-esque sort of song to her, like, very sexy, one of her very sexy poems is definitely about having sex with a woman. Um, But yeah... I have seen this and it is glorious. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's very true. <laughs>
3: Definitely, we went all out. Like we like, made togas with towels. I found like leaves on the street and like put them in my hair. And we just like totally hammed it up, uh, but it was really fun. Oh my god! What else? What's the point of life if you're not going to have fun? But um, <laughs> so, artists uh, Anaktoria and Gongola, and actually, we did have shirts with artists Anaktoria and Gongola, like. You know, the and shirts like Anactoria and Attis and Gongla. Um, But we've had some trouble with our T-shirt vendors, but I'm going to have to find a way to get them back because they're glorious. Um, But yeah, we love we love to see it. So definitely three that we know of.
0: Yeah. And we don't know much about them other than like she doesn't drop any clues about who they might have been or anything like that. Right.
3: No, not really. I mean, I think that there's like a poem and it talks about I think it's about Attis actually um there are a few about like them leaving to get married I think that we kind of oh yeah like this one is this Atis oh not this one but like this is definitely about like remember me for you know how we cherished you but if not I want to remind you in beautiful times we had like it's just like it really she writes really beautiful poems about like them leaving I like the idea that Erina was a lover because I like the fragment about like Novin being more irritated by anybody else. I think that's great. Um, so I like to think that Erina was one, uh, but yeah, we, we don't, we don't know that much about them.
0: I mean I feel like Sappho's she's she's pretty snarky in certain ways. Like I think of her as like this lyric poet who's who's very poetic and beautiful, but like she's got like an edgy side. Yeah, I mean History is Gay
3: the podcast, they made a Sappho bot that like it's like a Sappho shitposting bot. It like shitposts, so if you like click the generated or come up with like a random shitpost from Sappho. Even if you go on like Twitter, there's two there's two different Sappho bots and they like share parts of her fragments like just throughout every two hours they like share a new fragment and some of them are pretty snarky yeah it
2: reminds me it reminds me of that one courtesan who was like famous for her snark and her wit who was that jenny
0: it was nathena this this courtesan she had a lot of snark to her we described her as sort of a verbal dominatrix like the reason people went to her is because they like to be humiliated was what i took from it with words maybe actions too i mean this may have been a service she provided Why not both?
2: Some of this is my (laughs) fan fiction. So you're working on season two now, right? What is coming our way in season two? We're super excited.
3: So it's very hard to follow Sappho. And we thought about doing literary icons, but I just don't think there's anybody that we could necessarily cover in the same vein. So we decided to do um, the Untold History of Pirates, the lesbian or like the queer and women history of pirates. So there's not really enough queer literature. There's not enough women's, but like, we kind of borrowed it all into like untold history of like the stories you don't always hear. Um, It's hilarious because we had already decided this and then the sea shanty trend happened, which like the audacity of that to happen before our podcast release. But um, Elise, who hates like being famous on the internet she's no interest in being famous on the internet she's very low-key um i was like hey you should write a sea shanty for us and she was like okay yeah 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 so she puts out this sea shanty and like it just blew up has like over a million views She's got like 20,000 TikTok followers and she's like never really, post. she just used to post silly stuff. She's like, I can never post on TikTok again because I'm too famous and I don't want to like have the pressure. And so she's just this like one hit wonder on TikTok with this Pirates All Are Gay song.
2: Can we have the link
0: for the show notes?
3: (laughs) Yes, I'll give it to you for sure.
0: Okay, that's incredible. Number two, if you watch Black Sails... Pirates were absolutely fucking gay. Like, if you watch Black Sails, which is absolutely a historical document, it's a very gay show.
3: I mean, for all the experts we've spoken to, like, to be fair, all of the experts that we've spoken to have said that Black Sails is the most historically accurate pirate show. So you're not wrong about that.
0: Women being gay. I think all of the main female, not all of the main female characters, most of the main female characters are at least bisexual, if not gay. Like, I think, I think sexualities are really fluid.
3: You're talking about people who, like, made a decision to live outside of society, and, like, it just makes sense that they would have, like, radical views about sexuality also which like to me, I mean, it's not radical. (laughs) Look, if you're gonna
2: if you're gonna brave being on the sea and like sailing to places where you don't even know if you'll come back or not, because I mean, I can't imagine to me anything scarier than getting on a wooden boat with just a compass and the stars to guide me in a direction. Nope. But that kind of bravery and that kind of like belief in adventure and living outside of normal society that is safe and ordered like you are making a real choice and out there the people who are on that boat are dearer to you than family and you probably don't want to see them when you get to land but like it's like a long thanksgiving where you maybe can fuck each other or maybe not maybe you throw someone off the boat you don't know
0: i mean look what happens on the pirate ship stays on the pirate ship or maybe it doesn't you know maybe it shouldn't we should all fuck each other more that's really the moral of this story (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) (laughs) this has been the most lovely conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been awesome.
3: Thanks for having me. I'm so happy I got to do this one because you guys got to talk to Elise and Ellie last time, right? So I was like feeling bummed out that that wasn't with my schedule. And then I'm like, it's the same thing happened with Liv actually. And then I get my whole own episode. (laughs) Ha 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 ha.
0: Like the one that we did with Lisa and Ellie is going up on the Patreon. This one will be on the main feed. I'm not exactly sure when. It depends on when I edit things. I mean, all of you guys are absolutely welcome to come on anytime you want. Of
3: course. We'll have to do some Patreon bonuses for sure. Please let me know if you ever want to.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Why don't you come on for a drunken history episode with us? And you can tell us the story of the female Chinese pirate that they were telling us about.
3: Yes, Ching-shi! Yes, yes, definitely once we've done her. I will um, I will for sure come on and do that. That would be delightful. Any excuse to get drunk and podcast is really it for me.
0: <laughs> we do it a lot. Like we're like, maybe we need to like, now that we're doing podcasting more, maybe we need to not drink on the podcast quite so much just for the sake of our livers.
3: I mean, we didn't drink on this podcast and I'm pretty proud of us for that. And it is 11 in the morning, but I'm still proud of us for that because I have been known to open a drink at 11 when I'm recording. I bought a bottle of rum specifically for pirate podcasting. I also, you know, I did have a podcast about Battlestar Galactica. So if you ever want to talk about mythology and Battlestar, I've been trying to get Liv to watch it and like also very gay.
2: All I'm going to say is if you ever want to watch Spartacus with us, which is also very queer and very fantastic, I'm here for it. We can do that and Black Sails.
0: Spartacus is extremely queer. You've got to see it. And it's like it's female gazy, you know. Like I, as a bisexual woman, like love that there are certain ways that they handle bisexual women in the in the show. That I'm just like, this is very relatable to me personally.
3: Yep, yep. You've got to love some bi representation. My goal in my Twitter bio is um, uh, that I am a bi- aspiring bi con. Although I don't know, maybe I'm a bi con status. Like, at what who who declares that? Just like. Michelle Rodriguez, come down and just be like, hello. You just declare it yourself. Okay. So this is me, Lisa Charlotte Bicon, signing off. (laughs) Please go listen to season one of Sweet Bitter. It's amazing. And where can we find you? Um, You can find Sweet Bitter on social media at Sweet Bitter Pod, on Instagram and Twitter, uh, website sweetbitterpodcast.com. And then me personally, you can find at Lisa Charlotte everywhere. uh, L-E-E-S-A. And then Charlotte, like the city of North Carolina.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so fun. Thanks for having me. Bye.